When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In Spring Branch, we speak more than 145 different languages, and that diversity translates into a thriving economy. Our district's a melting pot. It's a great place to find the staff you need. Spring Branch is working for business. Yours. Find out more at spmda.org. Hi, and welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicles podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places. It's all here. I'm Rebecca Schutz, housing reporter at the Houston Chronicle. I'm Marissa Lack, real estate reporter at Houston Chronicle. And today we have an awesome guest with us, Anna Deans with the developer Midway. Hi, Anna. Hi. Could you say your title for us and what you're doing here? Sure. I am the vice president of investment and development at Midway. My primary focus is our East River project, which is a 150-acre mixed-use project just one mile east of downtown. Cool. And if you have been to the East End recently, you've probably seen this construction site. It's a huge presence in East End, and it will have an even bigger presence when it's all done. So we thought we'd have Anna on to talk all about the project and where it is now and kind of just the whole vision that Midway has for this uh, super cool project that will totally change um, this part of Houston. Uh, so Anna, could you start just talking about kind of like the the overall vision for the project and, you know, where, what will it look like when it's all complete? It's a truly unique and really one-of-a-kind opportunity. It's the largest contiguous undeveloped tract within the 610 loop. So 150 acres, just for reference, is about 60 downtown blocks. So this wow. is, yeah, I mean, it's it's insane and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the scale of that. Um, and even standing on the site, you you can't even see the full extent of the property. It's on the Buffalo Bayou, so it has a mile of water frontage. And so what I think is is so special about this opportunity is the timing, the location, all the different things that are happening in Houston right now, and this opportunity to reference the history, the kind of transformation that's happening. But here we have a blank slate where we're starting from scratch, and we kind of reimagine how that takes physical form here in Houston. So in a city that has essentially been designed around vehicles. You know, here we have a chance to design around people um, and really create a walkable, mile-long kind of entertainment district for people along the waterfront, really change the way that people perceive and interact with the bayou. Yeah, and it's kind of incredible thinking of, yeah, 60 downtown blocks that isn't totally built around streets. Because when you think about downtown, just street-level pedestrians, it's only now starting to change. Yeah, and actually downtown um, was designed around parking garages. So our grid structure, 250 by 250, is actually the most efficient parking garage. Really? So that is what you can see if you look at a map of Houston, how downtown is kind of shifted and slightly different than the rest of Houston. It was developed later, and it was essentially designed around cars primarily. Um, But here, you know, obviously 
cars are a big part of how we get around. But once people get out of their car, we want them to explore the site on foot. Uh, we want to create a zone that is off limits for vehicles and really connected to the bike trail system to offer alternate modes of transportation. Um, and so it's, it's an incredible opportunity to call also, uh, comes with a lot of responsibility. You know, this is an opportunity uh, to make our city proud of kind of a new place within Houston. And so we take that very seriously. Cool. So, so whose idea was this? I mean, when, when you just look at the property, it was just, what was it like a KBR industrial site? Like who, and, and how did that come about where you just look at this kind of open industrial, you know, maybe junky looking site on the bio and be like, Hey, let's turn this into a cool mixed use thing. Like how did it come about? I think we were initially approached because of our history and expertise in mixed use. You know, city center was really our first big mixed use project. And that was an old mall where, you know, we came in and could see the potential um, and were able to reposition that into something that now 13 years later is still a thriving kind of mixed use environment. So city center is um, out West at the intersection of I-10 and Beltway 8. And it's about 26 acres. It's mixed use. It has office, retail, residential. Uh, what was really unique about city center at the time that it was developed 13 years ago is a large portion of the site at the very center of the site was dedicated to green space. And then retail was designed around that space. Yeah. So this, I mean, guess what did it look like initially? Like were there old KBR warehouses? Yes, yeah, so you can still see some of the office buildings down at the west end of the campus, the taller buildings, and there's a couple of, of two-story buildings. Um, those are all vacant, have been vacant for a long time. This end of the site, we're at the the westernmost part where we've started the first phase of construction. There were one-story warehouses here um, and up until about five years ago, and we, we saved components of them. Unfortunately, we couldn't really adapt them because they were not in very good shape at all, but we have saved some remnants that we hope to work into the project. Um, so essentially, when we started leasing this first phase, we were looking at a big grassy open field with a great view of downtown, which when you're pre-leasing office space, uh, you know, office users typically make a 10-year commitment. And we were pre-leasing in the middle of the pandemic. That was that was a huge challenge for us. But but fortunately, we were able to find some great partners that could that could see the vision. So we just went on a tour of what's going on at the site right now. And we are sitting in the construction trailer with a little to scale model of what it should one day look like. I'm just trying to paint the scene. Describe what's going on now and what the vision is eventually. 150 acres. Uh, there's essentially five or six sections of the site. Um, we are on the first section all the way at the west end of the site where the Jensen Bridge um, comes across the bayou. And so this is where we've started construction. This entire section is about 26 acres. As you come over the Jensen Bridge traveling north, um, you'll see the Laura, which is our 360-unit apartment complex. It's right along the bayou. Um, it has an outdoor pool at ground level that connects to the trail system and has a great view of downtown. And then you would you would turn into the project from Jensen. Um, and then you will see a future office building called the Stacks Building. It's, it's inspired by kind of industrial wharf buildings. Um, that building will start construction next year. 
And then as you come around the bend, we have a district parking garage that's kind of central to this section. And then once you get out of your car, um, you would travel south towards the bayou. And there we are under construction on two office buildings. Uh, both are five levels. They both have retail at the ground floor. The waterfront building has retail at the top floor. And then there's two other smaller retail buildings along the waterfront there that are one story. Um, there are also metal buildings that look like little warehouse buildings when they're complete. And those will have um, kind of food and beverage concepts there. And this is just one small part of <laughs> the project. It was really important for us to just get started. That's been our goal over the last um, two years. You know, everyone's faced a lot of challenges. Uh, honestly, nobody really believed that this project was going to happen. And so just starting uh, the project was a huge accomplishment. And now we're, you know, the people believe in it. We're starting to see a lot of great activity that's influencing the future design of the project. If you look at the the model that we're looking at now, it's like, how many feet is this? Four feet long? It looks, it's much bigger than what is under construction now. And it looks like a full-fledged um, district, really, when you see the whole vision of like these little white block buildings they are like like imagine like a bunch of white legos that some super creative kids stacked together <laughs> yeah. it reminds me of the Derek zoolander uh oh yeah <laughs> city for like, okay. <laughs> when did you break ground can can you remind me of the timeline sure we had our groundbreaking in september a groundbreaking ceremony there was nothing here now we have both office buildings topped out. The Laura is almost topped out. Uh, the garage is topped out and almost complete. Um, the park spaces will start construction in November. And so all this will be complete uh, beginning of next year. So we'll have our first office tenants moving in in March. They're in for of 2023. Of 2023. Wow. Yes. And then the retail, you know, they take a little bit longer to build out. So they'll be building out over the summer, um, trying to get that coffee shop open earlier so that our office users um, can start buying their coffee day one. But uh, we are planning a, a big grand opening event for fall of next year. And we hope to okay. have all the retail open by that time. And uh, topping out means that the building has reached its tallest point. So the tallest building is five stories currently in this phase uh and then also there is a golf course that is going to be ready much sooner yes yeah, so east river nine is all the way at the eastern end of the site uh, the site follows the bayou and part of it kind of extends out where there's a bit of a peninsula and from that part of the site you have a great view down the bayou with downtown in the distance. Um, but as we started out as the west end of the site, it's going to be probably 15 or 20 years until we get to that end of the site. So um, this group proposed a golf course on that peninsula part of the site. It's a nine hole par three golf course. So it's not your traditional golf course. It's meant to be community oriented, family friendly. It's a shorts and flip flops type place. It's got a, an ice house and a restaurant kind of on the property. And they've also been doing a lot of great community outreach in advance of the opening. So they've partnered up with PGA Reach, which is a nonprofit, um, to work with veterans and youth in the community. For some of the veterans, it can be therapeutic just to get out and, and have that focus. And then obviously engaging youth very early can open a lot of doors for people um, and be great for your career. And um, they also approached Wheatley High School about having a, a golf team. And uh, Wheatley's in the fifth ward here where we are. 
And what was cool is when they went to talk to the staff at Wheatley, they realized the vice principal had gotten a full ride scholarship for golf. And so it really oh, wow. just kind of reinforced that idea that, um, you know, this this game that maybe traditionally hasn't felt accessible to everyone, you know, really doesn't need to be that way. And so that's, well, it seems kind of counterintuitive. And at first that was my reaction as well. Mm. Like, is that the right thing right now? That's because of our kind of preconceived ideas about what it is. And if you really kind of change the perspective and and open it up to everyone, I think it can actually be a, a really great thing for the community. And so I'm really excited about it. Um, and that's kind of a theme that we'll see throughout the project, I think, is taking things that people may have these preconceived ideas about, like the bayou, and just kind of flipping that on its head and saying, you know, just like the rest of Houston, we're diverse, we're different, we're not one thing, we're dynamic, we're multifaceted, we can be all of these things. Well, when's a golf course opening? In October of this year. Okay. Speaking of preconceived notions, I was wondering about the bayou because when I first saw renderings about this, I was like, this looks like Ladybird Lake in Austin, you know, or like something like that. But I was like, but wait, the water's like brown and there's like, what is there, snapping alligator? I don't know. what It's kind of like industrial, especially in the East End, you know, which developed around industrial sites serving the poor, right? So how uh, how are you going to kind of change that notion or maybe it doesn't necessarily need to change that much, but it, you talked about kind of the whole point is to get people to actually interact with this water. So, you know, it's not going to be like Lady Bird Lake. We have to, you know, work with what we have, which is very different than Lady Bird Lake. But what I think uh, is cool is it's already been uh, used in that way for quite some time. And a lot of people don't know about it. There's a boathouse um, at, at the end of the site on the other side of the bayou near, near Tony Marone Park. Um, and there's also, you know, the Buffalo Bayou Partnership has been doing their annual regatta for over 40 years now. So that's a 15-mile regatta. Uh, we don't have a boat dock in this first phase, but it is something that we're looking to incorporate in future phases. So there are 360 units at the Laura. It is planned to deliver the first units summer of next year, so June of 2023. Um, they're a little ahead of schedule right now, which is great. Our average unit size is about 860 square feet. We are 75% one bedrooms and 25% two bedrooms. We're five-story wood frame with a precast garage. So it wraps part of the garage, but we like to describe the building as a deconstructed wrap. Um, so f- if you're in real estate, development. Uh, you've probably heard of the Texas donut. <laughs> That's how a lot of developers describe the typical most efficient residential. And even if you're not a developer, you're very familiar with this. I get questions all the time. Why are the, there are all these like apartment buildings that are all the same size? Here's the intel. Guys. It's all based on efficiency. And so, you know, if you can squeeze a certain number of units onto less land, obviously, uh, that's more efficient and you're, uh, you can keep your rents lower or you can increase your profits. And so it usually is a, a parking garage wrapped with units adjacent to another donut of units with a courtyard in the middle. It's like a square surrounding a courtyard, right? Yeah. Right. And that's usually where your, your pool goes in the middle there. So here at the Laura, we've, we've taken that Texas wrap and offset one of the loops and then pulled it apart and then opened up one side of it to the bayou. And so the whole point of that was to allow more natural light into the project um, and really just make it a bit more interesting and accessible. Uh, The part that's 
completely pulled apart from the rest of the the main building is connected with a series of sky bridges and you you drive in um, from there to go to the central courtyard where the lobby is located but that freestanding building also has retail at the ground floor that overlooks the central plaza space so what is the pricing going to be like is it all like luxury market rate will people that live in the east end now will anyone be able to afford to actually live here or fifth ward or fifth ward sorry the rents when we open will be just over $2 a square foot. So for an average unit, um, you know, that's about 1700 a month. Um, but what we have done is we have some smaller, very small two-bedroom units, about 1,000 square feet that we, you know, you typically have one bedroom that's larger and then one that's smaller kind of as a guest suite. We designed those units to be a bit more symmetrical. So if you could have a roommate, you could share that space, have a full-size living, full-size kitchen, but keep your price point lower and kind of split the rent. So, you know, still as affordable as we could keep it given, you know, escalation, construction pricing and and interest rates. But, um, you know, we'll definitely, I wouldn't call it luxury because of the design. It's very funky and unique and different. Um, But we have, you know, tried to compress those rates as much as possible. Um, with our underwriting, you know, compared to some of the other new projects, uh, we'll, we, we will be much lower when we open. What, was there some units that would be uh, considered affordable, like you're pricing it to 80% of area medium right. income? Uh, in the Laura, we have 15% that we've designated as workforce housing. And so those rates will re- align with annual median income of 80 to 100%. Twenty percent, so area like the yeah. Houston area. Not it does like not. It does area. not necessarily. It it does not necessarily align with the fifth ward, and it does not align with the fifth ward. So, um, the annual median income of this area is much lower. Um, but on a citywide basis, that's what that aligns to. So that was incorporated without any subsidies from the city. It's just we took a portion of the units and tried to see how low we could, you know, reduce that return threshold for our investors and lenders. And it's a lot of conversations about what was tolerable, what was financeable, you know, what people would be willing to invest in. Um, and so that's that's how that was determined. Anytime there's new development in the East End or Edo, there's concerns about gentrification and just this area is changing so much. I mean, Midway is a big part of that. When people bring those concerns up to you or when you hear about that, how do you address that, you know, um, that tension between trying to create something new, have people interact with the bio, but then also people worried that this is going to increase the real estate values, price people out and, you know, ultimately end up changing it in a, in a way that people are worried about. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we've had so many conversations with the neighborhood and that's their biggest concern is displacement. I mean, they're excited about the services and the opportunities and the public space and safety, but, but if they Over can't time, afford yeah. to live in the neighborhood and experience it, then it's, it, they're, they're very nervous about that. And we understand that we're fortunate that, you know, we don't, the site was vacant, so we haven't physically displaced anyone, but obviously through the success of the project, tax values increase. Yeah. And people can't afford the surrounding area rents um, anymore. And so while we can't cap property values, which, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate reality of the system we live in with, you try to improve a place and it forces people out as a result. Um, What we can try to do is help people increase their income. And so we've really been focusing on how do we help people be able to continue to afford to live in the neighborhood through 
helping them share in the success of the project. So we've been focused on um, jobs primarily. We're trying to help the neighbors find either construction jobs or ideally permanent jobs here once the project opens um, that are above living wage so that they can, you know, if property values do increase, which they probably will, they can hopefully continue to pay their rent. They don't have to move. Um, and so we've we've partnered with a couple of nonprofits in the past or different organizations on job fairs. We just finalized an agreement with a local nonprofit um, called the Center of Urban Transformation, and they're going to help us take that one step further and really focus on connecting people in the neighborhood to the actual positions. And so they essentially are case managers where they can help prepare people, help them with their resumes, um, connect them with resources, travel, equipment, things like that. So you're trying to connect more residents to the jobs that even that are already here. One thing also that I think people were excited about in the neighborhood in terms of enhancing people's daily lives is the the grocery store. Mm-hmm. What is it? The Broham Fine Soul and Grocery, which is a, a concept by the James Beard nominee chef. And I'm blanking on his name. Johnny. Johnny. Yeah. Johnny Rhodes. Yeah. Johnny Rhodes. Yes. Yeah. So what was the, why did you decide to add a grocery store and, and how does that kind of add to the neighborhood? Right. Well, one of the initial uh, wish list items from the neighborhood was a grocery store because we are in a food desert. There's no full size grocery store here. And we have had many conversations with some of the larger grocery um, centers. And at this point, it's too early for them to feel like it's um, a neighborhood that they should be in. The, the I guess the rooftops and the demographics just aren't where they need to be, even though we keep we keep reaching H-E-B, out. H-E-B, come on. <laughs> it's a it's a smaller grocery, but it's very sustainably focused. So it'll all be his homegrown produce. Um, he he does offer other products, but in a sustainable way. So a lot of times there's a lot of waste in grocery stores, especially when it comes to, to meat and how animals are processed. And he will only be, he will sell every part of an animal before he brings more meat to the store. And so it's that kind of mindset that's driving his concept. Even when produce starts to go bad before it hits that point, he plans to bring it back to his farm and turn it into preserves so that it can be sold at the store. And so Food Fight Farms is the name of of his farm. And so and and you know, his whole family's been working on growing this produce. So he's super excited. So are we. It's 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 going to be a really unique concept. So he wants to be open by Juneteenth. That is his day oh, to open. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, what's some of the other more recent retail? I think there's a cafe. Ice cream. Yeah, you have to have oh, ice cream. Right. <laughs> One of the important parts. Yeah. Coffee and ice cream. The rest cream. will come later. Uh, no, coffee and ice cream. Absolutely. So El Condor is our coffee shop. They've been working with a lot of local groups uh, for a long time here in Houston and um, are working with um, on their own blend right now. So we'll have our own kind of East River blend of coffee, which will be great. Lick Ice Cream, they have some locations in Austin and College Station um, at our other project there. And so we're excited to have them here as Breaking well. Breaking news, it's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And then uh, at the top of the waterfront building, we have the second event location for Astorian. So this will be very different than their current location. It'll have its own name, uh, most likely inspired by the large outdoor terrace that they have at the top level. Uh, when they started looking at the space and and considering it as an event center, 
uh, we really wanted to make sure that the public could also enjoy that view. And so uh, they completely agreed and have incorporated kind of an outdoor um, bar cocktail lounge on the on the corner there. So when it's not reserved, that will be open for the public. Uh, we also have Tomi Jewelry, which is has taken one of the white box spaces in the multifamily project. So those retail spaces will be delivered move-in ready. So that makes it a lot easier for first-time users to move in and not have to deal with the confusion or hassle of construction. Um, we've used short-form leases, so they can be shorter-term leases in that building, and they're much smaller spaces, so we can keep the price point a lot lower. And we'd love for that whole building to be kind of, you know, pop up more local kind of eclectic spaces along the plaza there. When is the event venue going to be open or ready for the public? Fall of 2023. So everyone's kind of targeting that, that grand opening date. And you had mentioned when we were taking a tour that the office part of it had changed or the plans for it. I know. So the office tenants right now, there's Teal, Method, and impact networking. Oh, impact yeah. networking, yeah. of course. So originally you had imagined more office, but your plans changed. Why? There's still the same amount of office. The challenge was, you know, a lot of most uh, development deals require pre-leasing before you can start. That's a lender requirement. It's really proving that the market is there for the project before you build it. Um, we're not usually able to just you know, be like field of dreams where you build it and they will come. You have to show on paper that people are ready. Especially in Houston. <laughs> yeah, especially in Houston, um, in an area like this. And so uh, during the pandemic, that became even more challenging. We were trying to pre-lease this entire first phase, this first section, 26 acres, um, without having built a thing. And so uh, what we decided to do, middle of pandemic, is split it up into two smaller phases. So it's still the same amount of office. We just are building the first two office buildings now and then we'll build the next two we'll start next year and so we are pre-leasing those those next two buildings right now the other thing that changed during the pandemic i believe was the plans for the museum that there was a maritime museum what's the name of the organization a uh, houston maritime oh. center yes and so they had a, a beautiful building uh designed for the waterfront um obviously pandemic put a lot of plans on hold for everyone and and so they were no exception to that and so we, while we still plan to have them at the project and they're a perfect use for this project, their building will probably be in a future phase. And so we backfilled that space with the waterfront office building where the historian has leased the top floor. So something that people will ask me on Twitter or emails, which is they associate bayous, you know, they are the soul of the city and they're also, they play a big role in drainage. I guess you, you, you're saying some people think of them as drainage dishes and they associate them with flooding. Um, they're like, oh, rivers aren't as associated with flooding. And, you know, they, they have this like, oh, how are they going to get around this? We sh right. should give them space. That's one of the first questions we usually get when we're trying to lease space adjacent to the bayou is, you know, we probably all agree that Harvey was the ultimate test of the city in terms of flooding. And this site didn't flood during Harvey. So there was one section all the way down at the east end um, near the Hirsch Bridge where it drops down. The site drops down towards the water and that part had a little bit of water on it. Um, but amazingly, the the we are much higher here. Um, while it may not seem like it, there's very substantial and pretty tall bulkheads that kind of line a majority of the site here that have been here for a long time. And we've what been, are bulkheads? 
So bulkheads are structures that uh, retain the earth to keep it from collapsing into the water or from the river, like shifting uh, too far. And so these have been in place for a long time, but we've also been uh, reinforcing them over the last six years. So that's another reason um, why this project has taken a while to get started. Um, another part of that was a big infrastructure uh, drainage improvement that run through the site um, in this first section. And so that was meant to improve the drainage for the surrounding area. Um, and so now that this the site is, is really fortified, um, all the buildings are elevated well out of the 500-year floodplain, even beyond kind of where uh, the initial land was during Harvey. So the the risk of flooding is is very, very, very low. Um, you had mentioned earlier during our tour that it would be sloping or you're going to create this connection uh, from the site to the bayou. But there, there's going to be sort of, I guess, a buffer, like a tr the trail system slash green space will be sort of a buffer, I guess. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That that waterfront building actually was initially designed closer to the bayou. And, and through the design process, we decided to shift it further away to allow a larger green space overlooking the bayou. That buffer zone includes the Buffalo Bayou Trail System, which extends all the way through downtown. It's like a 15-mile network of trails that will continue to extend east um, through the east end. And adjacent to that, along this entire water frontage, there will be parks essentially designed that connect between the buildings to those bike paths. So people can ride their bike here and then kind of meander up into the park space. And then if they'd like, they can visit the retailers and venture further into the project. But we do want to preserve kind of this green belt along the entire waterfront there. So East River is on the north side of the bayou. There's a lot of activity on the south side of the bayou. But when I interview other developers doing all those adaptive reuse projects that I mentioned, you know, that are much smaller, but still interesting, so many of them will talk about Midway. They'll be like, oh, yeah, Midway, East River, that's going to it's almost like having Midway start this project, then all the smaller developers are like, okay, well, if they think it, this mm -hmm. part of Houston will work, I think we can convince our lenders to give us money and to move forward. Uh, so that was one of my questions too, is like, what do you think kind of just Midway being here in East River, like how will that impact just kind of the overall development picture yeah. in this part of Houston? Yeah, a lot of this has popped up kind of before, well before we even were involved. And so, you know, I like this, the site is 150 acres and one mile from downtown. You know, I, I think it at some point was inevitable that something would happen mm -hmm. here, um, whether it just be more townhomes or, you know, private residential community. And so, you know, I, I absolutely think that it was on some levels a catalyst for other projects because you always, you know, you do have to prove up your investment, say what else is happening and, and people, nobody wants to be the first. It absolutely is a, is a catalyst in some ways, but our hope is to, to just connect things that have been disconnected for a long time. You know, people from the neighborhood to the water, we're between the second ward and the fifth ward, which are disconnected by the bayou. So if we can start to bridge the bayou and bring people from both sides to a place that they feel like they're represented, then I think that will that will benefit everyone. But it's been interesting to see even how some of the small things have been received. So we we put the mural up at the corner of Jensen and Clinton. It was like a collection of containers. Right. 40 stacked. foot, there's six 40 foot containers stacked too high. 
kind of in a semicircle. And David Maldonado did this beautiful mural on there. Um, and he's he's from the Second Ward and a, a very well-known artist from the Second Ward. The marketing team pitched this and I was like, well, that would be cool. Sure, let's go ahead and do it. I completely <laughs> underestimated the value of the space that was created in front of that mural. I mean, it has been mind-blowing. Every time you drive by, for the most part, there's someone out there taking photos with their family or there's been dance troops out there doing videos. I mean, it just it highlighted the fact that there is a need for public space for people to express themselves. Yeah. And I was, I was going to say also both people who are just 100 percent excited or people who have more mixed feelings. I do feel like people do believe that this project will succeed. You know, like both of the, all of these feelings are coming from, from this like oh, things are going to change, you know, like people, I think there is that feeling. Yeah, we, you know, there's, there's so many good things happening here that we need to hang on to. There's also some bad things that I think hopefully will improve, you know, the industrial uses being replaced by green space is going to be better for people's health. Um, But the culture here, um, both in the fifth and second ward and the history is just incredible. And one, this is like, I mean, one of my favorite parts of the city, it's just because it's so authentic and that authenticity when you're trying it, you can't, that's very difficult to create in a new place. And so it would have been easier if we had had existing buildings here, but we didn't. And so it really comes down to the occupants, um, you know, the tenants that, that occupy the space and, and them kind of taking ownership and guiding the rest of the development into what it becomes. And so that's, we're really, you know, focused on having good tenants and partners um, that really already understand this area what do you think will be sort of the impact like a decade from now you know how will this area look what kind of impact will this east river have i mean there's obviously things happening now in the in the area around us um i would hope that in a decade we have established a pretty long stretch of of this waterfront area and then it is a place where when people, you know, have family in from town that they come visit and it, it has museums and it has, you know, farmer's markets and it has food halls, but it's absolutely representative of the diversity of our city. Um, and also, you know, highlights a lot of the great things that are already happening here in the East end. You know, this used to be such an amazing thriving part of the city that if that could be restored while the residents that live here can still participate in that, then that would be, that would be amazing. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being generous with your time and walking us through uh, the the hot, humid (laughs) day uh, to review this project. I I know that everyone's super excited about this or interested at least to see where it goes. So I appreciate you spending the time to break it down for our listeners and Well, thank you for having me. This has been really fun. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you want to see stories and photos of what the construction looks like now, you can go to houstonchronicle.com slash looped in and we'll have a link with links to all of our other coverage of it. Thank you to our print editors, Lily Thomas and Rob Gavin. Thank you to Scott for producing Thanks to Farrell Gibb and his band All the Kimonos for the theme music. And until next time. <laughs>